You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 7 is where we'll start. And uh, before we get started, I just want to be completely honest. And I am extremely nervous. And when I think, every time I preach, whenever I think about the messenger, me, I get very, very nervous, completely nervous. But when I think about the message, I get even more excited because I just believe with all my heart that every time God's word is opened up, that he has something he wants to say to us. So I'd like to ask everyone watching, whether you're here in the auditorium or you're at home or driving in your car, that you would just take a moment, and whether it's in the comments, whether it's to your neighbor, whether it's in your heart, just tell God, say, God, if you speak to me tonight, I will hear and I will respond to what you have for me because I believe he will speak. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 7 Paul is writing to the Christians in Philippi and starts in verse 7, he says, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ and be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Verse 10 of Philippians 3, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. I'd like to preach for a few brief moments on the subject, knowing Jesus. Perhaps many of you, like me, have been uh, at a dinner table or maybe in the living room of your house with a group of friends or family, and maybe you're watching something on social media or a TV clip uh, from a show that you're watching, and somebody that hasn't been watching comes in and is a little bit clueless because they haven't been watching, and they say, hey, who is that on the screen? They look familiar. And everybody's like, oh, you know them. That's, that's so-and-so. You know, they play on this TV show or, you know, they play on this sports team. You know them. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know them. You know, they play for this team or they're in this show. And everybody agrees that they know them. But in reality, none of them have ever met that person that they're saying that they know. They have a head knowledge. Maybe they've heard some things about them. But none of them know them personally. Here in Philippians 3, when Paul says that I may know him, the word know literally means to experience personally, to meet, to have a personal relationship with. So when he says knowing Jesus, when he talks about knowing him, the excellency of the knowledge of Christ, it's personal. It's meeting Jesus. It's knowing him deeper. I'd like to ask two Simple questions tonight, and we'll be through. First question is this. Do you know Jesus? Verse number eight. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, 
Verse 9, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, power of his resurrection. Did you know that salvation, as described in the Bible, is a gift? It's the gift of eternal life. I believe that none of us would argue with that. It's incredible. Salvation. But did you know that in John chapter 17, Jesus himself is praying to God and he defines and describes eternal life, not as heaven, but as knowing God personally. See, I wonder how many times some of us, either when we're presenting the gospel or when we have heard the gospel and are responding, that we have a false sense that eternal life and that salvation, the gift of salvation is all about a place or all about a prayer. But salvation is not a place, and salvation is not a prayer. Salvation is a person, and that's Jesus Christ. This has not happened, and I don't believe it will happen, but let's say it did. Uh, This fall, and I'm back in school in California, let's say that my mom sends me a gift in the mail. She sends me a brand new Bible, and it's been a week or week and a half or so since she sends the Bible and she hasn't heard from me. So she gives me a call and just asks, hey, Jared, I sent you a gift in the mail. I just want to make sure that you received it. Want to make sure it wasn't lost in the mail. And then what if I said, oh yes, thank you so much for giving me that gift. I actually, I'm using it right now. I'm actually writing some things down with that pen that you got me. It was incredible. She would be confused because she would say, that's great that you have a pen that works, but that's not the gift that I gave you. And I'm wondering how many of us have a false uh, reality and a deception that eternal life is saying a prayer or is going to a place. But salvation is knowing Jesus personally. Do you know Jesus? It's my fear that many of us that sit in church have a salvation testimony that includes everything except for salvation. I've heard so many testimonies, even in Bible college, of people that would get up and explain where they were, what they were wearing, who they were with, what time of day it was. And that's great. I think that's good to remember by. But if you're not talking about Jesus and turning from your sin and believing in him and him alone and having a personal relationship with Jesus, that's not the gift of salvation. The gift of salvation is Jesus and him alone. Do you know Jesus? In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus himself says that many will come unto him in the last days. They'll say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out devils in your name? Have we not done many wonderful works in your name? Have we not come to church every week in your name? Have we not submitted our tithes and offerings into missions in your name? Have we not prayed a prayer to stay out of hell and to win a ticket to heaven in your name? What does Jesus say? He says, depart from me. Why? I never knew you. The same word, a personal relationship with Jesus. Not asking you if you've said a prayer. Not asking you if you think you're going to a place. 
but do you know Jesus? See, eternal life is not about where you'll be forever. It's about who you'll be with forever. Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? And second question tonight, if you do know Jesus, how well do you know Jesus? Verse 8, yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus. You suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. In verse 10, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, and watch the next phrase, in the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. Did you know that God's will for us in our suffering is to draw us closer to him? It's for us to get to know him in a deeper and more personal way than we've ever known him before. And the purpose of every storm that Jesus allows us to go into is to know him more, is to be conformed to his image. Story is told in the Gospels. It's found in Mark 6 and John 6, as well as Matthew 14. And it's a story of the disciples. And it's immediately after the feeding of the 5,000. An incredible miracle. And immediately after, Jesus sends his disciples into a boat, into the storm in the Sea of Galilee, the worst place to be during a storm. And he sends them to what he says, the other side of the storm, to Bethsaida. Bethsaida was a distinct place on one side of the Sea of Galilee that Jesus sends them to while he stays on land. Now picture with me, Jesus had been with the disciples in a storm and had calmed the storm, but Jesus was with them. Now he's sending them into a storm while he stays to send away the people. Undoubtedly, they would have been questioning, wondering, why are you sending us into a boat, into the storm? And by the way, Bethsaida was a place that they could have walked to in under two hours. But he sends them in the boat. And we find many theologians believe that they were in the storm for over eight hours, struggling against the wind and the waves and the storm. Wondering, why did Jesus send us into this storm and abandon us? Where are we even going? Bethsaida was only supposed to be a two-hour walk, and we've been in this ship for eight hours. The middle of the night now, where is Jesus? What's the purpose of this storm? Where is the other side of the storm? In verse 53 of Mark 6, the disciples finally get to the other side, and says that they ended up getting to the shore at Gennesaret. Gennesaret was another distinct place, the other direction on the outside of the Sea of Galilee. Can you imagine going through eight hours in a storm, struggling, fearing, wondering, doubting, stressing, to get to a distinct place that Jesus has sent you to, and then you get there, and it's not even the place that he sent you to. And you're wondering, I thought Bethsaida was the other side of the storm. But then they got to Gennesaret. And as I was reading that, I'm trying to think, which one was it? What was the purpose of that storm? And the reality is that in John chapter 6, that same story is recorded. And it says that when Jesus stepped into their boat, that immediately, not only did the wind cease, Not only did the waves and the winds stop immediately, but it says immediately when Jesus stepped in the boat, 
Immediately, they were on the dry ground where they went. See, it's a miracle that's overlooked by many. I never noticed it before. But what Jesus was showing his disciples is that the purpose of the storm was not to try and try and try harder to get through the storm to get to a place. The purpose of the storm was to bring them back to him. You see, when Jesus was telling his disciples to go to the other side, he was really saying, come back to me. See, he wanted his disciples to realize that they needed him. It's recorded in those uh, scriptures that they considered not the miracle of the loaves. See, before that account in Mark 6 and in John 6 and Matthew 14, that's the first time that we ever see the disciples acknowledging Jesus as God and worshiping him as God. It says that they knew him. It says of a truth, thou art the son of God. They worshiped him. See, through that storm, Jesus showed them that it's not about trying harder on your own to get through it or to try to trust me more, although that's good. But first and foremost, every storm in our life is to bring us closer to Jesus. How well do you know Jesus? What storm are you in now in your life that Jesus is trying to bring you closer to himself? The story is told of an evangelist, and he's traveling from church to church, of course, and it was a Monday night, and he was getting ready to preach a brand new message. He never preached it before, but he was going to preach on trust, and he was so excited. He knew God was going to use it, and before the service, He goes out to dinner with the pastor and his family. They're at the restaurant, and the pastor's thinking, man, i got to get somebody to help me with this illustration. So he asks the pastor's son. He says, hey, I'm going to do this message on trust. I need someone to help me with this illustration. And the boy was excited. He said, yeah, of course, I'd love to. He was excited about it. And the evangelist said, okay, well, before we agree to all of this, I need to know that you actually trust me because it's going to be embarrassing if we get up there and you don't trust me or you walk away or something like that. So he said, I need to know. So he asked the boy directly, he said, do you trust me? And the boy with a little bit more hesitancy said, yeah, I trust you. And then the boy continued after those words to question and needing to know every detail needing to know, okay, so where will I stand? How will I fall? When will I go up? Okay, are you sure that you're going to catch me? And he needed to know all the details, and finally the evangelist stopped the boy. And he said, I'm sorry, but that's just not trust. And I fear that many times in our life, we will say, God, I trust you. And in the very moment that we speak those words in our heart, We have no peace. We have no confidence. We're fearing, we're stressing, and we're fighting the storm on our own. But trying to justify by saying, God, I trust you. And what he's saying to us is, that's not trust. The evangelist went on and asked several other children before the service, asking, hey, can you help me with this illustration? And went on and on. And and to no avail, none of the children really trusted him. The evangelist was frustrated, but he said, you know, I'm just, I'm going to have to preach it without the illustration. So he preaches the message without the illustration, and the message was, was good, but the evangelist was down, he was discouraged. He knew it could have been so much better with that illustration. And after the service, 
his wife could tell he was down and was trying to cheer him up. And the evangelist turned to his wife and he said, I don't understand. Why does no one here trust me? And he was, he was frustrated. He was discouraged. He was confused. And his wife turned back to him and said, you didn't actually expect anyone to trust you, did you? And the evangelist just, you could, you could sense that frustration swelling up. And he was like, of course I did. That's why I was asking them. Why would they not trust me? And his wife said, well, none of them know you. How do you expect people that don't know you personally to trust you? And I'm afraid that so many times in our storms of life, we struggle and struggle and struggle to trust God. And we wonder, why is it so hard to trust Him? And the reality is, we'll never trust someone that we don't know. And the more that you trust God, or excuse me, the more that you know God, the more that will result in trusting Him. See, the more you know God, the more you'll know how trustworthy He is. The more you'll know that He's never failed. He's never broken a promise, and He won't start with you. How well do you know Jesus? You say, okay, I get it. The purpose is to know Jesus more through my storm and in my life. But how do I do that? See, God's Word is a love letter of him revealing himself to us from Genesis to Revelation. It's his redemption story. Yes, the Bible is an instruction manual. It does show us how to live and how not to live. But before all that, it's God showing us himself. He wants us to get to know him. And I wonder when the last time was that we took our Bible, we sat alone with God, and read it not to try to do more or to do less or to look for what do I do now? How do I try to implement more into my life even though I'm not trusting already? But when's the last time we've sat down and opened up God's word and said, God, I just want to know you more. I want to have a more personal, deep relationship with you. And the more that we know God, the more we will love him. And the more that we love him, the more we will trust him. See, we can't skip to, to step two of trusting God if we, if, we don't, if we don't heed to step one of knowing him. How well do you know Jesus? See, you won't know him more if you don't know him at all. wonder how many of us have been trusting in a prayer or have been trusting with a false hope that even believing the prayer will get you to a place. And the reality is, if you walk away with anything other than Jesus in a relationship with him, Jesus is going to have to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Do you know Jesus? Have you turned from your sin and believed and trusted completely in him and him alone? Not 90% Jesus and 10% prayer. Not 80% Jesus and 20% heaven. See, I fear that so many times we emphasize heaven and we emphasize hell. Like, you don't want to go to hell, right? You want to go to heaven, right? And that's good. You should include those. Those are part of it. But may we never emphasize those things to the point of devaluing 
Jesus and his work on the cross. Salvation is a person. Do you know Jesus? After you know Jesus, if you are saved, if you have accepted the gift of salvation, how well do you know Jesus? wonder if it's time for some of us to take a step back in this crazy storm that many of us are in and say, God, I just want to know you more. I just want to read your word to know you deeper. See, trusting God and having faith and joy and peace are all results of knowing him. See, we'll never keep God's commandments the way we should if we don't realize that the purpose is to please him. If we don't love somebody, we're not going to desire to please them. I wonder if the reason we've been struggling so much in our lives to trust and to do all of these things how we should is because we don't really know God how we should. Do you know Jesus? Not a head knowledge, but a heart knowledge. And do you know him? How well do you know Jesus? Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week. Thank you.